Welcome to the Special Generalist Podcast. I'm Peyton Kringley. Today's guest is a former Division III champion in hammer throw shot put in the weight. Former University of Minnesota record holder in the hammer throw and Division I All-American. He is currently one of the top professional hammer throwers in the United States and ranks seventh in U.S. history. He is generally known in the throwing community as ST Throws where he's built the personal brand around his success, mentoring hundreds of throwers, uplifting the sports platform, along with his name, image, and likeness. Welcome, Sean Donnelly. Yo going on happy to be here yeah i uh, this has been one of the first people i thought of when i was crafting the idea of this podcast was you i i met you my freshman year you probably thought i was just a little <laughs> punk hanging out with john but i always thought uh, i appreciated and, and thought all the different uh, pursuits you were doing along with just your abilities in the hammer throw and stuff coming from uh, division three at that time you were doing a master's program yeah. and then competing correct yeah so yeah i you're not a guest that i've never n- not known but also someone that i'm interested in learning more about in comparison to some of my other guests where i've known so for sure i've used john as a little bit of a crutch to get some background information he had said that you uh, came from ohio you always joke that you were a little bit of a late thrower you didn't actually start throwing super super early so maybe high-end specialists or people that are in a sport. Give me a little bit about that. Do you wish you learned it earlier, or do you think that it's been a slow-developing process that's got you to the peak? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, so I started throwing, I guess technically I did throw in middle school. I threw I threw just discus, so not even shot but end discus, because like my seventh grade, I think, science teacher, who was our throwing coach at the time, he, we'd do like tryouts. And I tried the discus, I was okay at it. I tried shot put and was not good at it like relative to other guys in in my grade so he was like yeah you're not gonna throw a shot put go throw a discus whatever did that for like seventh and eighth grade and then once i got to high school i was more of a baseball player and so i played baseball my freshman year unfortunately I didn't make the team my my sophomore year wasn't <laughs> wasn't good enough to make the cut because it was like <laughs> we had some crazy athletes in in my grade it felt every sport had some stud where and this is relative to the high school scene like they're not you know, right. doing anything in sports now. So I guess I, in retrospect, perhaps I was the stud athlete if I'm going to pump myself up <laughs> a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I got some of this weird path through like high school trying to figure out what I wanted to do and who I was and what I was interested in and played baseball. Like I said, didn't make that team my, my sophomore year. Then I got into like lifting a lot more and then oddly enough, got into like the UFC. So then I, I started wrestling because I was like, I got to start training for the UFC. Like I got to get on it. And then uh, so I wrestled my junior year, had a 500 win record on JV, like very average. But I guess it was my first year wrestling. And then senior year, I started, this is a long way. I'm, I'm very long winded. No, uh, I think it, no, I think it's detailing how, how much of an emphasis you put on sampling and experimenting yeah. on, on different pursuits. Like let's say you, you wanted to do wrestling and you gave it your all yeah. and you figured out it wasn't for you. You kept sampling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I wrestled and like I did enjoy it, but then like off season I was like, all right, I got another you know year to go next year, so I'm gonna work my ass off in the off season. Did all the strength and conditioning workouts and like fell in love with strength and conditioning. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. I was always into like lifting and stuff, but I had no idea that there was a job like at universities where you could be a strength and conditioning coach and you literally just coach athletes. Like, here, you're going to do these exercises, set reps, weights, whatever, and you're just going to make them better. So I discovered that was a thing and kind of fell in love with it where I was like, wow, I can take myself, who is a relatively average athlete up until this point in, in my life, and I can, through what they say, like, work smarter, not harder. Like, I could write a better program. I could work just as hard as anybody else. So if I'm doing a better program and working just as hard, I'm going to get better results and then develop into a better athlete. So got into strength and conditioning. Did an internship at a powerlifting gym nearby to learn more of the strength, you know, side of the strength conditioning world. And then that kind of, that was like the, the first major step to me becoming a, a, the thrower I am today because these people that worked at this gym were like very much meatheads. Like I, I joined and they were all powerlifters and they just wanted to bench, squat, deadlift heavy every day of the week. And they're like, you know what, you should you should forget about wrestling. Like, you should just come do powerlifting and strongman. And they were like, you should just try to get as big as possible. Because up until this point in my life, I was like six foot six one, And then the, I wrestled the 171-pound weight class in my junior year. And around that time when I joined the gym, I was like 190 pounds. 
And then at the start of my senior year of high school, they told me to bulk up. They're like, just forget about wrestling, bulk up, get as big and strong as you can. And I bulked up to about 240 pounds. So like 50 pound gain in, I think three, two or three months. It was, it was, it was a struggle. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so then after that, through a weird happenstance bet that I made with one of my friends and one of my teachers, I got bigger and stronger. And then I, there, I, I, went out for the track team my senior year and like I said up until that point in my life I'd been a relatively average athlete never really excelled at anything and then all of a sudden I started throwing shot put and discus and then I was like top two or three in my high school and then was fortunate enough to make the state meet but I started so late I didn't get recruited so I walked onto a division three school and it was just it just happened to be the school that I wanted to go to for college itself for the for the academics and it just so happens that they had one of the best track and field programs in the conference and by the time I left um it was called the University of Mount Union. By the time I left there, we also had one of the best track and field programs in the country because it, I just, like I said, very happenstance, like fate in a way where I just fell into the right situation, surrounded by the right people, and that kind of sparked the flame, if you will. And now here I am 10 years later, still throwing. So it's kind of a crazy journey so far. It's cool that, one, you had a, a large sampling, like I said earlier. And that, that note that you just said, it felt like fate. And I think one of the things that I find myself also involved in is experimenting and falling into place of things that seem very novel and almost how did I get in this position in the first place? And it's partly due to my almost annoying curiosity to some degree. It's almost, oh, what's that? Let's, let's try this. Oh, are these people, are these people, you know, the right fit for me? And you're constantly just seeing where you fit in different niches. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see that, one, you're basically a late specializer because you didn't even get recruited into a program that is quote-unquote Division One level standard, strength and conditioning, etc. Mm -hmm. And you still made it to where you are now and still whatever progression you are continuing to have. So I think it's really cool to see, and that's exactly why I thought this was a awesome opportunity to have you on this and highlight what you're doing for your sport and your adventure to there. I know I watched a ton of your YouTube videos personally, like I've I've gained practical insights from things such as your back is tight, it doesn't mean you need to stretch mm -hmm. it. It means it needs stability. Just like stuff like that, that that I've been able to just take generally. I think that you have a very good way of, of doing that and portraying that and it obviously is shown in your channel and yeah. your different platforms. Which is really sweet. Oh yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. I had no idea you can, you were that. Can you, I mean, you you probably didn't expect me to, obviously, someone that's outside of that community to, out of your niche to have seen that, but that's where it goes once you expand outside your niche, yeah. right? You can start overlaying into general mainstream areas and, and different markets, which is really cool. I know there's a the where you are right now, um, I think this is also a great opportunity to touch on some things that are topical, and I think I know you're in a great place right now, post-trials and stuff like that. I don't know if <laughs> it seems like that, yeah. right? You seem like you have this very noble and honorable position with what, what had happened and occurred from where you were in the, the last five years and its buildup. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I think there's a very awesome practical use for the majority of people that may have sunk a lot of time into something and come to this place where they're like, okay, do I continue specializing and in, in, in chasing that peak? And, and I think you're in a position that I think you have the fire in you to do mm -hmm. this. And and you're probably like, what does this kid know? But just from looking at afar, you, you see a lot of times people either chasing the specialty or also just afraid of what's gonna happen outside of the general generalization. And I think what you've done really is you've diversified your platform and your success and you've actually contributed back to the sport, but then also you are at one of the biggest peaks, mm -hmm. right? So I, I just kinda wanna hear what you what your process has been from someone who's at a position where a lot of people come to either continuing to specialize, it could be someone who feels like they have to go get their master's and their PhD and whatever they're going into. And maybe they are one of the greatest minds in that versus understanding, hey, okay, you can start developing some side things as well so that you can go chase those things. And I, I, I just think you're a great example of this. And I don't know if you've even... Oh, yeah. 
No, I, I totally, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I totally agree where, once again, it's it was, it's been a byproduct of my sort of abnormal upbringing through the sport where, like I said, so after after going to Mount Union and did my undergraduate there, then yeah, I went to the University of Minnesota and I legitimately went to the University of Minnesota, which I guess I can call the U. Like when I say that to other people outside of Minnesota, they're like, what are you talking about? But yeah, when I went to the U, looking back on it, it was perhaps a little, what would the term be, hubris? Or, or like egotistical to be like I'm gonna go here with the hopes of becoming a professional like hammer thrower like I thought I had even though my best mark at the time pre Minnesota was 66 meters which is that doesn't even qualify for U.S. Nationals it's probably like maybe I don't know nowadays it's not it, it's a good mark but it's not anything to shake a stick at or, or whatever the term is I don't know but I went there with the idea of hey I want to be a professional hammer thrower I want to train for the Olympics this is what I'm going for and I I guess like doing that first year there believed in myself enough, made it happen, and was all of a sudden top five in the U.S., I think, the following year. And then I was like, all right, I gave a good run at the Olympics, missed out on that in 2016. Didn't quite have what it took in terms of distance. Like, looking back, like, once again, I was like, I can do it. I know I can do it. Like, just complete and utter belief in myself. But then looking back, I was like, wow, dude, you were so far off. Like, you weren't even, you had a lot more work to go. And, but yeah, so then, I was like, all right, I'm committing to this like professional athlete thing. This is what I'm doing for the next four years. I'm chasing my dream. And it was a very tough, okay, it wasn't a tough call for me to make, but it was once I was like, hey, I'm going to do this, then it was like a tough, okay, how do I make it work? That was the hard thing to find out because, like I said, very atypical journey through the sport. Like I wasn't a stud out of high school. Like I have an ass load of student loans, still do. Like the Division three private school was like $36,000 a year. I had some scholarships, but not enough to cover all of it. And then even when I went to the University of Minnesota, like I was paying bare minimum tuition, taking like the bare minimum level, like graduate credits and stuff, and still had to pay out-of-state tuition for that, which was like not cheap. So I was like, all right, I'm going to move into this house with, was it seven or eight other guys with like John and and everybody else that lived there that the the ruckus. I hung out there. (laughs) I caused a ruckus yeah, there. Yeah, ruckus at that at that house. And so I moved in with them, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna take the smallest bedroom I can in this in this house with seven or eight other guys. It was nine by seven, 63 square feet. I could almost touch both sides. Had a twin bed. Didn't have a dresser. Like, just I was like, all right, let's step one. Cut down on expenses. Cut down on living costs. And then I was eating like ramen and like chicken and broccoli for half my meals. Eggs, like fruity pebbles, like very bare bones, like. Just trying to make it work and then i was like all right how do i make an income i'm cutting back on all these expenses how do i make an income i picked up a coaching job at concordia st paul for four grand which was like i pretty much lived <laughs> off of that four grand for the entire year i had a and then like once again fate in a way i fell into the right situations where yeah i was so specialized in one thing which was the hammer throw that was my essentially my nine to five waking up and everything i do is focused on training is focused on like how do I make training better how do I recover better after training while I'm training how can I be more focused like stuff like that so specialized in that but then outside of that I'm literally trying yeah quite a few different avenues trying to figure out how can I make money how can I make this work I started doing online like throws programming and like lifting programming for people like super like just word of mouth like somebody's like hey do you offer coaching I'm like yeah 50 bucks for a month and then that adds up over time and then all of a sudden more people want programming and I learned to advertise that and then I was editing videos for I remember when you were learning behind me I was like yeah you should use Adobe Premiere you you know you should use from when you were doing that that takes practice in and of itself to acquire those skills but you are one of the the leading platforms in your space like that johnny has even said that in when he's down in georgia he's a sean donnelly is. <laughs> and which is like a little i'm sure to him is like tongue-in-cheek like, yeah i know who sean donnelly is yeah like, he knows the real <laughs> me not the internet me <laughs> yeah oh yeah no i no it's really cool to even you can dovetail off that a million different ways there is still that gap between now you can continue to yeah but yeah so i'm like i started making like vlogs and videos for myself because uh a guy who ran a track club that sponsored me he was like hey you gotta build up a social media following like when you're trying to look at like international meets and go over there compete, like they look at social media followings and stuff like that so if you have more followers they're gonna let you into the meet and at the time i took that to heart i was like all right this is what it takes and turns out like it has nothing to do with that at all but it was also good for like i said building up an income and helping fund my post-collegiate training and stuff like that and 
blogs, editing videos for other people, just doing like literally anything I could to, to try to scrape together some money. And then finally I caught a break when it came to getting invited to the Olympic Training Center. And then, yeah, stuck with the vlogs and stuff for a few years after that. And even, like you said, it takes a lot of practice to learn how to edit videos pretty well. And I take it for granted now, but like looking back, I'm like, holy, holy shit, I made, I want to say probably it, it might be like a hundred YouTube videos, most of which are not good at all. But I just... It's exactly. that repetition, it's that same principle mm -hmm. of practice and that skill acquisition just like anything else but I de the fact that you had to spend time on that practicing it and now after the fact now you have hammer throw and video editing and you're not amazing it's not like yeah. you're the I'm not Casey you're Neistat or like I'm doing yeah. James you're, you're not doing James yeah. Cameron cuts right. but you're able to actually leverage kind of them against each other and build and, and your following is a is capital. Mm -hmm. It's a platform of distributed information that come to you algorithmically, personally, through brand, etc., which has an immense amount of value. And me and John in our podcast, we talked a lot about how now college athletes have the ability yeah. to do that. Maybe they're not getting a salary, but you could scale that. Like you could go around and, and give workshops to st students to, to build up their platform or whatever it was to to do that because there's a ton of value outside once you reach that point where you're like okay i i'm not hitting my peak in this anymore what do yeah. i do now i don't th i think there's a lot ahead of you yet which is awesome to see but i think that you've been able to do that do you ever battle one of the things i battle with is even just with this podcast is i'm, I'm trying to schedule it around my working schedule i feel a little guilty because i should be focusing on that maybe in this time <laughs> yeah. frame but then i'm also like I actually really love doing this. This energizes me. It's fun to talk to people that I haven't talked to maybe in a little while or learning about what they're doing. How do you balance? Do you ever go, God, I shouldn't have spent so much energy on posting yeah, out these videos? Yeah. You know um, what I mean? No, yeah, I definitely, I'm always trying to figure out the balance of that stuff. And like I said, you can see over the past three or four years of my career, you can see the, the shift where, like I said, when I was at Minnesota, it was like trying to post a video maybe every week, every two weeks or something like that. And, and then even when I moved to Chula Vista, there were, I've always had the um, the kind of dream of building my own brand big enough to the point where, yeah, it's my job, full-time job. Like I make YouTube videos and I, I make enough money off of ad revenue that like I can pay my bills. That's That was always a thing. But then it was, like I said, it, it was a balance of like, all right, I'm super focused on Hammer, but I also can do this other thing. There's a lot of professional athletes out there who, I should say professional track and field athletes who work. A job outside of their sport because they need to pay the bills and I'm like no, I could go work at like a Walmart or a Target or, or a Home Depot or I don't know I could go coach at a gym as a, as a strength conditioning coach but then I have to be on my field all day like if you're weighing the, the risks and the rewards of trying to be able to pay your bills and still do the sport that you love and I was like well I could like I said that first year post-collegiate when I was living with John and everybody it was a big leap of faith of like all right, I can take this next year and like really try to build up my platform and then I'll have something to rely on a little bit, which is exactly what has happened. Like I said, over the past three years or so, I haven't been posting maybe one video every two weeks just in the off season, January through June. I don't really post at all. And that, that part of me is like trying to, like I said, still figure out how to balance being the content creator and then being an athlete because a lot of people that I talk to in the sport who are very old school are like, hey, cut the social media shit out. Like, you don't need that. Like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have, like making an Olympic team or being recognized as a really good thrower, it all just comes down to how far you throw. And like respectfully, I disagree. I think there's some merit to it, sure, and I've listened to them, but then at the same time, here I am having missed out on the Olympics and not focused on social media at all, really, outside of a couple, like a post a week on Instagram, not even a very like well thought out YouTube video, like the bare minimum, oh, this throw was good, I'm gonna post it up in this caption that I thought of in 30 seconds, like bare minimum, and yeah, still didn't get to reach that goal. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you think that, one of the things that I've been trying to identify as a pro is that, and I looked at that and I saw, for example, what you were doing day in and day out, what your diet was, what you were tracking all that. Do you think that you killed two birds with one stone and acted as if you were almost journaling? And to me, it's okay, there's the structure. And obviously you're doing it through a different yeah. vehicle. I'm just thinking if you do go, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that was implicitly a part of the structure that, that you incorporated. To me, it's hard to, to not value, okay, all the conversations I'm having, for example, is my conversation skills now getting better through this? And now if I were to cut it out, would I be, would there be a void 
that's actually helping me. And that and those are things that I think about as I'm like, okay, is that going to be implementable in the skill set that I want? And is the conversations going to add value outside of just what I'm going to be yeah, posting? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very valid point because even speaking on my own experiences, like before I started making YouTube videos, like I would say, I don't know what other people thought, but I always thought I was like relatively awkward, like socially um I, like, I didn't feel like I could really keep the conversation going. I was also just nervous, like too self-conscious almost. And then of course, like when you start vlogging, I was like, well, it's just you and the camera. So there's really not that much anxiety to it. But then after you make a few videos, you're like, oh, this is like, talk, like carrying around a camera. It's one thing if you're sitting in a room filming yourself, like pretty chill. But if you're out in public, like at a gym, and you're talking to a camera, I don't care who you are, like that's a weird thing to do. But Like how, like to the average person, it's like how egotistical yeah. is that guy that he's talking yeah. to a camera, but it's not, I mean, it's, yeah. or it's just part just, of it. Just like, uh, right. it's just, it's just a, whenever, I, if I see somebody like, like when you go to the beach or like you're out doing a thing and like, like girls like who like ask their friends to take Instagram photos for them, you're like, right. what are you doing? But the, like, it's just, it, it draws attention in a weird way. And like for me, who is like relatively, like I said, quiet and like very reserved, like it brought me out of my shell big time to the point where I was like, I've, I don't have much shame anymore. Like, you could tell me to do something and be like, all right, I'm going to do it, and I'm never going to see this person ever again. Like, it doesn't matter. And I think, like you said, how I developed that skill, and now that skill has probably helped me in many other routes of life, whether it just be normal, like, face-to-face conversations with people or even thinking in regards to my sport. Like, if I wasn't as confident in myself that I learned from blogging, then perhaps I wouldn't have the ability to go up to another hammer thrower or another coach and then just like outright ask them a question about training which then I can learn from which then benefits my training yeah it does this is a, a very valid point that I've never thought about that you've sparked in my brain I was like wow maybe I wouldn't have talked to that guy from Germany right. had, he, had I not had that confidence built up from vlogging and holding a camera in, my, in front of my face it's the causal line is way too yeah. uh, complicated for people yeah. to say either or, right? And that's one of the main things that I always get so frustrated with when people are like, it's either or, you need to focus and specialize. And it's that's one of the, the main themes of generalizing is that you acquire things that are implicit that help you in other areas. And one of John's points in his podcast was that the shot put technique actually came mm-hmm. from the discus technique. Yeah. And like, how did that guy know before mastering one or even understanding it that he had developed and acquired the skill that required for the other thing? And at the end of the day, like, when you were just saying at the beginning of this that it just seems like it's a happenstance of fate, it's like that uh, I always have this saying, it's luck is naive and, and probability is ignorant. And, and what I mean by that is like your leaning curiosity put you in places that just so happened for you to test it and you were like, okay, this to me is meaningful and it fits. Okay, I value this and you're going to integrate it somehow. Like you integrated it. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like you weren't detracting and didn't have your successes. And so that's, that's why I wanted to, to ask you about it because I'm the same way. Like I... I get into a library or like I was just flying home and I was like in a book library and I was like, I was overwhelmed because I wanted to read everything there. I was like, oh, that, I bet there's something useful in there. I bet there's something useful in there. And I'm just like, okay, let's take that theme and just make it with people. There's so much to integrate from other people into your specialty and then vice versa. And I, I didn't mean to just spark a new thought, but to me it was like, okay, you're, you're like, you're killing two birds with one stone almost to some degree with a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of value there. It's just when I'm writing these and I'm trying to outline themes and conversation and abstract out things, I like, those are skills that you have to practice and do. And my goal is to just be able to whip these out Mm -hmm. in two hours and, and just keep going, Oh, that person would be a person to, I've had a meaningful conversation with that person before and they align with everything that's going on here. And I remember just last time I saw you, we were at the the football game. And I remember we sat that's there right. and we talked for an hour. I don't know if you remember that. And there's a party yeah, going yeah. on around us and we yeah. were in a deep combo. So I knew you'd be great for this. And it's kind of cool to see that you've diversified your sampling and then integrated it into this brand. And it doesn't seem like you've necessarily gotten to a point where I'm 
just throwing it all away, I think it's really cool that you even accepted to come on here. And yeah. I'm happy that I added value to you. Exactly. It's worth it. I got everything I needed. Well, hopefully more. We'll see. But Yeah. Uh, do you, and I know this is probably still sensitive, you hear a lot of, first off, let me preface it by saying this. I think that the way that you've handled everything um, from the trials to now just your general public you put a lot of time into thinking about it and it, it wasn't like you had said oh i'm just whipping out captions that don't matter like you've obviously established <laughs> maybe not or true oh no you're right there's like probably one post every like three months where i like i really sit down and think about it but most of the stuff training related i just whatever's on my mind like when you are able to articulate your emotions and your you're doing two things you're talking like rationality and your emotions and you're boiling it down and you're telling people, like, I could sit here and read what had happened after. And to me, I was like, everyone can relate to that. And that's so powerful and, mm-hmm. it, and it's really cool. And I don't think it's done. I think it's a micro story to a macro, macro ordeal. And if you want, you can highlight what had happened. I don't know, just for the general audience of people that are listening. Yeah, for sure. It'll, maybe it'll help me process it some more. But yeah, so for those of you listening who don't know, most of you guys who's ever out there listening probably doesn't know that. Yeah, you did a good job explaining it at the start, but yeah, I'm one of the top hammer throwers in the U.S., and I was one of, I think, four people with the Olympic standard in the hammer throw, which is quite a feat. I was ranked, I think I'm still ranked, like 10th or 11th in the world, which if I went, if I was, like, had any other nationality besides American, then I would have went to the Olympics. But yeah, I had to go to the Olympic trials and place top three at the, at the Olympic trials, and this is the one meet every four years that has a different setup outside of like a national level meet that has a different setup than usual, which is we have a prelim day and a finals day, or I should say a qualifying and the finals. And to make the finals day, that's when you get selected for the team. Uh, you have to be like top 12, which for me should have been no problem. And unfortunately I just had an off day on that qualifying day and fouled out, which means I had three throws to throw over about 70 meters, like I said, top 12. And all three throws unfortunately ended up, I didn't make it out of the cage, hit the cage door and didn't get a mark, which hurts (laughs) a lot because like I said, I've been in this situation before where in 2019, I should have been on the uh, world championships team but i took fourth by six centimeters and i can say that hurt a lot and this whole like not making the finals day at the olympic trials hurt just as much but in a different way because in in 2019 i missed out on the team like i said six centimeters and i had a good day like i had i don't know if every thrower can relate to this or if anybody can relate to this but it was one of those days where you do something like if you're if you lift or you do anything athletic if you play baseball if you play golf i think golf's probably the best thing because i think a lot of people play that and you you could know nothing about golf but if you hit the right if you do the right swing and hit the ball just right but we were like wow that felt effortless it goes straight it goes exactly where you want it to it's like i did that perfect and in 2019 at the national meet i did that throw where i i let go and i was like i got all of that did everything i could and then still missed out by six centimeters i was like at least i got to do my best and be like oh it just wasn't enough that day but this year i didn't even give myself a chance like i didn't get a mark i didn't get to go to finals so it, it hurt in a totally different way but yeah so that was a, a tough thing to deal with because i like i said it's just a different thing that i and it, it was just so far out of my realm of expectations of what could have happened like i thought oh what if i go make the final and take fourth again or like uh, just all these things these different possibilities like i could win i could take second i could take third i could make the final and then fall out i could you know take sixth and just have an off day and like, have my worst week that i've had in years and like i said just had never really thought about that possibility before maybe because i didn't want to even acknowledge it right. that it, it was a possibility but yeah so that definitely it's been hard to process yeah that was like four the years, moment, but, like for the last since you came to minnesota and you're like i'm gonna be a professional thrower and i'm gonna make it yeah that's like the that's the one moment of validation that i've been seeking my entire career i've had a fairly fortunate career in the sense that i haven't had any major injuries knock on wood i've made it to the level that i wanted to make it to which is to be a professional and like to have a give a crack at the olympic team and there's a lot of like pain and suffering and sacrifice that goes along with that four or five year journey and um like I said, even that pain I felt in 2019 and last year with COVID, everything being delayed, I went through a lot of shit just trying to keep training and doing like everything that I could to like, stay on top of it when like gyms were shut down and throwing fields were being right. closed and just I had to move across the country doing all these different things and just all that, like I said, just hard work and suffering and pain and sacrifice, all of it. I was like, if I just could make the team and call myself an Olympian, like then everything would be worth it. And then, so now I'm left sitting here still 
not made the Olympic team, but I still did all that stuff. And I'm like, I know it's not for nothing, but like, how does this pay off? So now I just got to keep going with the journey and, and see where else it takes me. And yeah, like you said, in some Instagram posts, I'm pretty vulnerable and I get to relate to people in that sense where like I get to, I, one of my things, and I guess like you talked about my brand, one of, one of the key things of my brand, I think is, is authenticity because you see some professional athletes and they're so good at saying the perfect thing to make them seem like some like superhuman god or something like that and i'm not like that i'm still a normal guy that deals like, with lots. I, everyone deals yeah with loss exactly and everyone's vulnerable to it exactly yeah and that's that's one positive that i guess can come from me not doing all trials is like i got to make a post that people will read and they can perhaps relate to when they fail or and then also like you said it's a micro story you right. know that is going to make the macro story perhaps even more incredible. I don't know, like I said, and then it's, like I said, it's an opportunity for me to bounce back and show people like, hey, yeah, you can fail and you then you just got to pick your head up, keep going and, and you'll succeed. Like, that's what I'm hoping right now. It's been, what, almost two months now and it's still raw in a way because like I said, I haven't talked about it to too many people and it's just one of those things that I know like anything will pass with time and yeah, once I start training again for next year, it's, I'm sure it's going to disappear like that but yeah, it's just nothing to deal with and I think everybody has those moments in life. I appreciate you going through that. I know that wasn't extremely easy. I think there's a lot of uh, Olympic athletes I actually followed this year that kind of had a similar theme. One of the divers actually from Minnesota, Sarah Bacon, she I think was like took second at world and then didn't even make the olympic team one of my favorite wrestlers jordan burrows i knew oh, yeah. he lost to, to kyle dake and then kyle dake had a funky turnout at the olympics and there's the benefit there too that we're in an off year which was supposed to be 2020 so now you got a shorter step it's oh it's actually right around the corner i'm sure in some aspects do you like do you think it was a slow time to get there, or do you think it was like, I can't get enough in? I can't get enough training to get there? That's tough to say. I think it really just depends on the day. I think, and I can just, over, over the six months leading up, so from like January until June, it was one of those things where in January, I was like, man, we still got another six months until the Olympic trials. This is going to take forever. And then all of a sudden, it's the end of May, early June, and I'm like, yo, where did all that time go? Can we chill for a second? I don't know. It, speaking from just this year specifically, I felt like it was... Like I said, just very day to day, but like I was ready to go in in 2020. Like I was. That, that's I was what I was going to. I was going to ask that. I was going to say, were you like primed in your head for 2020, and then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think who's to say how things would have played out had COVID not happened and had 2020 not been postponed. But like I was ready to go, man. I was I was in the best shape of my life in literally so. What was it like the the pandemic was officially announced like March thirteenth and literally the the weekend after like the the training center was still open relatively speaking like we were still able to train so I was still doing it because I was like this might last two weeks it might last a month it might last, it might last two months but all, all I know is that it's not going to last forever and when it ends I'm still going to be ready to compete so I kept training and like I said the week after the the pandemic and the, all the lockdown and quarantine stuff like officially it was enacted. I threw a personal best with the competition hammer in training by two meters. Like, I was ready. You were rocking. So, like, yeah, dude. I was like, I can't. Like, I'm in the best shape of my life. It's like a date, it's like a date that rain checks on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> like, dude, I'm so ready for this. And it was like, especially after 2019, like, I was on, like, a vengeance tour. I was like, let's go. I was training <laughs> like a man. I was, like, ready to go. And I knew, like, for some reason, because, like, most of my competitors, and like I said, I don't know how they were doing up until that point like one of them was in pretty good shape another guy was in decent shape but then there were like two or three of them i didn't know and i think that over the next year because of the pandemic like they either there was one guy who unfortunately he got injured and he went and threw a trials and he threw 74 meters which is like four meters off his best and he missed out and who's who's to say that the pandemic didn't happen he would have been in fine shape he could have thrown 80 meters who knows so it's yeah it's, it's hard to say how COVID affected people. I think it also gave the opportunity for some other people to figure it out. It's so, tough. It's tough no matter what to chase that causal line, right? No different yeah, than exactly. we were just you're, talking you're, about. Like, easy to pay, play what ifs. Exactly. It's it's definitely easy to go, okay, well, what if this happened and this? And then, but nonetheless, I, I guess I was just interested as in you were, I assume you were ready to rock and it's been an odd year for a lot of people just like hanging out, not knowing yeah. what's happening. I know. A lot of people have been under the same, not necessarily it's a rut, it's just this move, it's almost if you're kicking a field goal 
and you're aimed and you're primed and you're looking at it and they just keep moving the field goal back and it's a tough deal. I do think that good. there's a lot of value in what you had said and I think a lot of people can definitely acknowledge what you had said. I do want to ask, you're now at this point with whatever age you are and like you mentioned earlier, it's like I, I could work a second. Most people in this work a second job. This isn't, this is for the love of it. You're obviously passionate. You have a fire for it, which is extremely honorable. Since this was the aiming point, there's the sunk cost fallacy in which you put so much into it that it's almost like it's irreversible to ever pull back. A lot of doctors feel it. You get $200,000 in student loan debt and you're like, I'm I'm sunk, the sunk cost fallacy. Not that it's a yeah. fallacy if you're $200,000 in student loan debt. Yeah. I think there's a good analogy there. I just want to know, because you do have your branding and you have the opportunity probably to do all sorts of things, I know wrestlers that do a similar thing are now flow track announcers and they do a lot of different things like that. I know you're going to have avenues like that. What went into the decision moving forward as far as now in 2024 and yeah. the, the continue yeah. down the journey? I guess you're probably still processing it, so I know it's wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, I think after the Olympics for a lot of, for almost every athlete, I think, is a weird time because it's like, all right, like the, the one thing I was focused on has now passed me. Like, And the way I would describe it is like, it's literally like a blinder that you put in front of yourself where nothing matters past this date to the point where that's how I thought about the Olympic trials where I was like, yeah, I could think about the Olympics, but this is the only day that matters. Everything I do is focused on this one day. So then, and I'm a pretty forward thinking guy, especially when it comes to like training for the, the next years and stuff like that. And even when I was training in 2018, I was like, all right, well, how's this going to play out when I do 2020? Like pretty forward thinking guy. But then the time has come where I didn't think about anything that I was going to do after the Olympic trials or the Olympics where like friends would be like hey we're taking this trip up to like this national park you want to come with I'm like I don't know I'm not thinking about it so it was like a weird and of course like the only thing I was thinking about was oh after the Olympic trials was the Olympics that's all I was thinking about so like when the day came and I missed out like I was like it was it was this weird cascade effect of like oh you have to think about this and you have to think about this and you have to think about this and I was like there's just so many variables that are going on in my life now that I normally wouldn't have to think about if it weren't an Olympic year because like, a lot let's, of things. Let's control what I can. Yeah, exactly. So it was little things where fortunately I had a thing to look like. It was my friend's wedding the next weekend. So like I got to fly back home and like see some friends and stuff. And of course, it's not as exciting to see your friends when you missed out on the Olympic team as if you would have made the Olympic team. So like I had some things to keep me going like, all right, well, you got to go do this wedding. And then yeah, super depressed, but working through it now, just to put it lightly. And yeah, like I took a couple weeks and I've gone I go in spurts of I, I kind of let myself go I'm like I don't have to worry about training I don't have to worry about the Olympics anymore so I can drink some beer I can have an extra burrito like who cares let's relax and enjoy life and then it turns out that I after doing that for a week or two I don't really enjoy that anymore to the point where I just feel like I'm getting fat and out of shape so I'm like alright let's get my life together like then I'll do a three day fast and then start working out again so like, I've been doing that for the past month getting on the right track again and with that comes like the motivation to like alright I'm processing things I'm figuring out what I want to do next and yeah, so it's, I had plenty of time to think about it. Like there was no way I was going to just retire after like that. Like I'm at the top right. of my game. Like I said, a personal best this year, like I'm not falling off by any means. So I'm like, all right, step one, keep throwing. Step two, okay, where am I going to train? Who's going to be my coach? What's going on? Had to talk some things out. Still have a spot at the Olympic Training Center next year from what I've heard so far. So um, still going to do that. So I'm going to got my environment for one more year. Then I'm like, all right, well, I also missed out on an ass load of prize money. So how am I going to fund that again? Fortunately, still got some funding from people because they, like I said, believe in me as an athlete since I am. I have set a personal best. I am doing, I did well this year on it. And, and then I was like, all right, definitely missed out on some financial stuff. But then I was like, going back to what I said I was always going to do, like I said, I spent the past two, three years so focused on being an athlete that I pushed the brand development stuff to this. And now I'm like, not only am I not going to the Olympics, I'm not making this money, but I now I haven't a superfluous amount of time. I had all of July, August, September, October. So I have, what, four or five months until like I get back to hard training. So I just have time. And I was like, I've always said that like whenever I was done throwing, I'm going to do, yeah, the YouTube thing. I'm going to maybe start a podcast myself. Like just do something, focus more on my coaching business. Like, and so now's the time that I get to do all that stuff. And I think even moving forward, in hindsight, I think I was a little bit too focused on the athlete thing to the point where I put all of my chips in one basket. And that's, I think, what also contributed to the feeling of pressure of like on the day at the Olympic trials was 
like, all right, man, this is it. Everything that you've done for the past three or four years has led up to this moment. Like, putting that pressure on myself, and I was like, like I said, if I failed, I missed out on a lot of prize money that would have helped me out a lot because otherwise I'm not making that much, and then, like, just all this pressure. So now I've pivoted, and I'm like, all right, can I split up my day to the point where I can work on YouTube videos in the morning and then go train in the afternoon and then relax at night and then have more of a balance between work and life and, like, a stable income versus, like, like I said, putting all your eggs in one basket. So that's kind of the, the thing moving forward is, yeah, obviously specializing in the hammer but also just with a little bit more balance in regards to yeah, brand development and, and content creation and uh, stuff like that so it's cool I think you got one you got a scalable model right like you're doing the coaching stuff and we can talk on that that will come back to the YouTube stuff I think it's so easy in hindsight to to you have the specialty of, of focusing in and then you have the ladder of what you've always been doing and it's hard when it's so foundational to your temperament and your curiosity and, and what you've been doing. I, I watched one of your day in the life videos and I saw all the different things that you're doing. You're doing like foot workouts. These, these are general just things that are experimentation sampling. You're, you're online and you're looking at different coaches and strength and conditioning. Like I've watched a lot of different videos before this as well. And it's really cool to see. And it's hard for me to not believe that you weren't killing two birds with one stone by content creation. That was your, one of the things that I did, and I talked about this just recently in the last podcast, is I made a a LinkedIn article and it blew up and I've been doing podcasts for my work. And I made that article just as much for me to articulate everything that I was doing as much as it was a public thing that people read. It's hard to not I don't know. I've just been telling myself I'm killing multiple birds with one stone. If I can systematically do this in my life where I can do it efficiently, effectively, but also have good quality, it's like they can complement one another. And so many people think it's either or. And I I can imagine you're doing, I saw you're doing technical analysis of of different throwers. Oh, yeah. And that's something that you probably would do just generally, like just breaking it down, helping or whatever. And you're also putting out content that then's usable by others. Yeah, no, exactly. That's that's one thing that, that, that is one thing I do think about often is the effect of, of doing this coaching and stuff on my actual throwing career. And one, obviously, it's a way to, you know, make income so I can keep throwing. But yeah, by coaching other people and by doing technical analysis on other people, I, one, get to, like, examine the throw a little bit deeper in the sense that, like, all right, and that's one of my favorite things. It's tough as hell because I can tell somebody, like, hey, don't do this thing and they're like why and then like before i'd be like i don't know just don't do it but now i'm like all right now right. i gotta think about it and then be like okay if well, this happens then that happens and then this happens so this is why you don't want to do this and then it helps me examine my idea of technique a little bit deeper and then at the same time it also makes me a better coach because it's a better throwing or better coach yeah like you said two birds with one stone it's it's uh, something i think about often and that's the one thing that I think when people say, hey, don't worry about social media, just focus on throwing, that's one thing that I don't think they realize is, yeah, like, it, it does benefit multiple aspects of my life. And this is one of the really cool things about the information age is that you're a practitioner of this at the highest level possible, but then you're able to reach at such a large scale to so many people. So, like, you're getting to consume, like, tons and tons of content on this and then break it down, like... That never existed 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yet you're de- you developed a model of, okay, I'm going to... It's like football players when they watch tape. But you're also you're using it in multiple avenues, which is what I think a lot of this is for is, okay, I'm doing this already. Why, not am, I, why am I not posting it? Yeah. And it's helping other people. And a lot of people discount the fact that, like when I'm on here and I'm talking to people and I'm already listening and watching your stuff and reading books on related topics, I'm already doing it. Mm-hmm. So why not just have the conversations and post them? Yeah, exactly. That's right. Pay forward. No, and I didn't mean to rewrite your entire idea of this personal branding journey, but that is to some degree what I want to have all these conversations is, hey, man, this is what I see you're doing. I think it's awesome. No, yeah, that's a, that's a great, I guess, perspective on it, and I never thought of it that way, but... It definitely, on some level, that's definitely what it is, and I think that definitely gives me a little bit more motivation moving forward, where, hey, yeah, I'm going to look at film, I'm going to document my training, because that's the thing, is, like, the stuff that I post on, on on Instagram, at least, like, when I just post a throwing video, like, 
that's one video of the 20 videos that I took that day that I also, each one I go through and look at and watch and break down and dissect. And, and yeah, so it's, like I said, on some level, there's not much thought to it where it's, okay, I'm already doing it's this. It's already part of your workflow. Yeah, so like, why not just, like you're, it's, yeah, exactly, do it. Yeah. That's And that's so hard for people, the very, the old head is like specialized, like focus on what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. What little day do they know that all the different things that in their causal line that forced them to do that, whether it was they learned a lot of different analogies from doing work that was unrelated or whatever it may be. You know, maybe it was the one book they read that wasn't even related to it and they just saw, they, they implicitly read a ton of analogies that then helped them at the right place in time. It's so hard for... It, I think it's such a short-sighted seat to say that drop everything, focus in. Yeah. And and it's not that it's not that it's not important to focus in, but it's so situational. Yeah. It like like when you're saying that you were focusing in for six months, like that to me is you never release that pressure probably just built up and it compounded to some degree. If you're someone who likes to, is energized by general things and in, in in readings and watching things, I'm sure it was like taxing to some degree i know i would be i get the same way when i feel like i have a big thing coming up and i have to prepare for it and i i spend a lot of time and then it comes out almost a little unnatural Mm -hmm. yeah you can't make the moment bigger than you yeah no exactly and that's like i said in hindsight that's what happened where i'm building it up in my head and and now it's going to take a lot of practice moving forward but like next year like thinking about the national championships and stuff trying to qualify for the world championships i'm like Part of me just wants to, like, not think about it at all. Like, I just want to be like, yeah, dude, it's just another meet. Go there, do my thing. I don't want to. I don't want to make any special posts about it. I don't want to be like, hey, wish me good luck for this one special meet. Literally, just want to. I don't want to have to do anything special. Where the amount of things that I did differently for trials, in hindsight, like I said, I was a terrible idea. Got a nicer hotel room. Did things like ate at different restaurants, stuff like that. Where I was like, all right, gotta, this is what I would want to do but not what I do normally. When I should have just I should just went to Denny's. Why do I have to go to the, the organic friggin' brunch place? You even you implicitly made the things that you were eating and the places you were eating but bigger than the exactly. moment. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and that's that's a big thing like I said I gotta work on moving forward. Where even talking to some of my coaches and stuff afterwards they're like, Sometimes you're too smart for your own good and I was like I can yeah. I do dude, I do the same thing. Yeah. I do the exact same thing. I until I've been I've got my feet wet in mm-hmm. the circumstance. I, I used to do this with my wrestling. I used to get so nervous and build it mm-hmm. up so much in my own head that it didn't matter who I was wrestling or where. Like I wrestled in the state tournament, and that was something I grew up watching, and it was such a big deal. And I, I kept telling my little brother, I was like, just get exposure to it. Yeah. Like, once you start getting exposed to it, you start to realize how small it actually is in, in, in reality. Like the weight and density events have are completely in proportionate to your own intuition. And there's a collective value on said event. The Olympics are a very prized and an honorable thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, it's, like you said, it's past, and it's just another record to some degree. Mm-hmm. So it's it's cool to see, though, that you're, I hope that just chatting about all these different themes, I think there's a lot of value to the average person. That's a lot of times you hear, like, they're locked in a box working at a corporate cube mm-hmm. and everyone around them is telling them that they have no time for themselves or anything that they want to pursue, whether it's how flipping houses or doing a podcast or, and the crazy thing is there's marginal low risk. Like you making a podcast would cost you $15. Right. You probably have a lot of, and you know how to edit the videos and you know how to do all that. And it's like the risk to reward on that is like, None. And that's the way I view it. It's I'll just keep doing these with people I'm interested in, and as they grow or whatever, then there's a personal branding that's tied into me. But that's all just a. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't enjoy conversations like this. Like I took a lot out of this. Like even before I, I thought I knew where I was going with this, but then all of a sudden it took lefts and rights, and I was right. like, it's fun. It's exciting. That's life, baby. So I've been. I'm gonna try to start doing this too. What would your general advice be from your this is a lot of my demographic is young professional and it's older too but sometimes people are weighing in this do i specialize do i narrow in or generalize like what would be your advice to your audience and whoever that's trying to uh, aim at something or accomplish something or even just live a good life 
Yeah, for sure. So the, this whole conversation, is, and I'll, I'll finish up with hopefully one relatively short, long-winded story, because that's what I'm pretty good at. I think there is, there's a book by this old samurai guy from like the 1600s, Miyamoto Musashi, and I think he has a couple different quotes that are relevant, and one of them is, is know the way broadly, so like, whatever you do, you have to know a little bit of everything that's going on around you, so like in hammer throw, like it's not just throwing hammers, not just technique, it's also like, all right, throwing programming what goes into that okay mobility strength diet recovery always like you got to know the way broadly and then another thing on top of that I, i'm gonna butcher the quote but it's pretty much if you're the way of mastery in one subject then in all subjects so like for me personally and this is what has helped with all these extra kind of extracurricular activities i should say like by learning how to get good at throwing hammer as we talked about it's repetition it's exposure it's experimentation on some level like that's how you get good at everything like now the way that i taught myself how to get good at throwing hammer is what i do with a lot of things like all right i'm learning how to work on this car i'm learning how to cook i'm once again building my own personal brand editing youtube videos like it's all the same thing it's just different kind of content or different subjects but it's the same sort of actions and determination and work and willpower that it takes the the will and the force to get there yeah is equivalent and that's one of the you know what best ways to even end this but the force and the you mean the the conduit in which you're going through or whatever subject it is let's just say it's a different mechanics or choice whatever is in there it's still one thing moving through another and learning mm-hmm. and receiving and, and and that's at the end of the day those, those two quotes are perfect because that's exactly the theme of all of this and that's what i want to do is take people that have had some successes and not only just play on my own themes but just talk about things that are real and and people that are putting things into practice you get a lot of people that are pretty abstract and are theoretical and then it's not really grounded in anything like substantially real and i think the fact that you even read that book and knew that and then have applied it to your life is exactly where it meets in the middle Mm-hmm. And I can end it with that. I appreciate the heck out of you coming on here. I know we're weak ties in our network, but it was such a fun conversation. And it ended up turning out pretty well for, you know, knowing you not to the level of my past guests, but it was awesome. And yeah, there's a lot sure, of value man. in this. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Happy to be here. Happy to have taken part. Like I said, I enjoyed it as well. How can uh, people find you? Yeah, Instagram's my main sort of social media platform, SD Throws. And then if you're interested in looking at some YouTube videos, I think it's also youtube.com slash SD Throws or Sean Donnelly, S-E-A-N-D-O. Well, they can read the thing. doesn't matter. But <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, where you'll find them and that's where we can wrap it up. You can follow me um, on Instagram, The Special Generalist. You can also follow my personal, but that's not important <laughs> and youtube and also like me on facebook if you're seeing it on i want to keep you know providing some awesome conversations and i look forward to in three years having me back on and yeah this podcast being fucking way up here and you even higher oh yeah thanks ben cool